Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's May the 11th, 2021. Um, a couple of months ago, we had the British journalist John Kampfner on the show. He has an interesting new book out, Why the Germans Do It Better, Notes from a Grown-Up Country. Kampfer is an exile from the UK, a critic of Brexit, and very much in support of Germany as an open country, a country as the inheritor of 19th and 20th century uh, liberal values. In the book, he focuses on Angela Merkel as the hero, essentially, of recent German history, and particularly uh, her willingness to accept the refugee influx from the Syrian civil war and other uh, civil unrest and problems uh, in, in the Muslim world. Um, it's clear that in Germany itself, many of uh, the asylum applicants are from Muslim countries, from Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Albania, and Iran. Now, the uh, Muslim um, immigration to Germany has not been entirely unproblematic. Uh, many of you will be familiar with some of very unfortunate events in Cologne a few years ago, a sexual attack on, on New Year's Eve. And not everyone, I think, sees uh, Merkel as a hero. My guest today on the show, in fact, I think, uh, and I don't want to put words into her mouth, but I think she's a critic of, uh, of Merkel, and Merkel represents uh, the, uh, the irresponsibility, the, the, the moral irresponsibility of, of, of what she calls the European elites. Ayan Hersi Ali doesn't need much of an introduction, very distinguished uh, writer, commentator, polemicist. Uh, her new book, Pray, Immigration, Islam and the Erosion of Women's Rights focuses uh, in many ways on a critique of the European establishment and particularly uh, of Angela Merkel. Um, Ayan, is that fair? Do you see Merkel as the symbol of the moral abnegation of, uh, of European establishment when it comes to immigration? When it comes to immigration, indeed, yes. I mean, Angela Merkel has been a leader for many, many years, and she's done some fantastic things for Germany. But when it comes to uh, dealing with the influx of immigrants from the Middle East, from South Asia, from different parts of Africa, uh, I don't think she's done a good job in that sense. Uh, you, you warn readers about... Uh, in this new book, you say this is a trigger warning for the entire book. This is the, the inscription at the beginning. It Reading it, you should be triggered. How do you want to trigger your readers, Ayan? So obviously we are living in the context of identity politics when uh, people, in my view, who lead very comfortable and privileged lives are complaining about being triggered um, by this, that, or the other, uh, literature, history, um, they are judging, you know, present-day uh, leaders by the morals of centuries ago and so on, and people who lived centuries ago by the morals of today. So that's, you know, where the whole trigger thing comes from. 
but do you do you want to trigger your reader or or, or do you see this as a an uh, 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 an inevitable consequence of you addressing a very sensitive subject I'm addressing a very sensitive subject and there are a lot of people who are all too happy to look away and whom I want to trigger uh, to not look away and to be provoked and to look at what's happening again it's these are the unintended consequences of mass migration, but they are consequences nonetheless. Uh, the increase in sexual violence in Europe as a direct consequence of uh, immigrants, young men from Muslim-majority countries who come from a context where they are just not used to treating women as fellow human beings, that's a reality. And yes, I would like to trigger readers of this book to uh, lean into this problem instead of pretending that it doesn't exist. I am the first sentence of the book, um, and the first paragraph is also very hard hitting. If, if, if the trigger warning at the beginning didn't trigger this well, you say this book is about mass migration, sexual violence, and the rights of women in Europe. It is about a colossal failure of the European political establishment. And it is about solutions to the problem, fake and real. Uh, let's go back to this colossal failure of the European political establishment. Is that failure that they've fallen into a, a conceit that they can reform people? Or is the failure that they simply don't understand the nature of immigration and that we need to discriminate between types of immigrants? It's both. Uh, there is an, a lack of understanding of immigrants and immigration, uh, and, and I delve into the so-called push and pull factors, establishing welfare states that attract people from other parts of the world who think they can get everything for free. I mean, that in but, itself... But, uh, I don't see how that's connected the welfare state observation that they get everything for free with, um, with, with female rights. Are you suggesting that people who want stuff for free also don't have any respect for women? No, I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is that the people in different parts of the developing world who live in poor economies and in places that, you know, politically are unstable, there is the buzz that goes on now that if you just found your way to Europe, you would be leading a life where you would have free food, free shelter, free healthcare, free education. Th those are the pull factors and the push factors, the political instability, the economic strife, all that is, those are the push factors. But then the conceit of the political leadership where they think that, okay, if you open the doors to people from different cultures, that the, their integration or assimilation will be smooth and it's, it, it's just something that they take for granted. That I think is where the real failure lies. The fact that in the first generation, second generation immigrants from Muslim majority countries are still struggling to integrate into European societies and then flinging the doors wide open for uh, larger numbers to come in today. I think that is, an, uh, and I'm being really charitable it is thoughtless of these leaders. You suggest, Diane, that, um, that numbers of men, you don't say all men, but many men from Muslim-majority countries, they essentially have a problem with women, or at least with Western women or Western conceptions of, 
femaleness. What's the problem in your view? Or what's their problem? Their problem is that they have they come from um, cultures and societies where women are commoditized, women are viewed as, um, you know, mothers and wives, and they should be hidden from view. Women are divided into good and bad, and the good ones are the ones who are submissive and obedient, and they get married and they have children, and they're locked up, and the bad ones are the ones who are westernized, quote unquote. These are women who want to live as individuals, they want to work, they want to get an education. So when they come to Europe, they look at European women and they see bad women unprotected by their male guardians and uh, who are up for grabs and they look at them as prey. You suggest that there are areas now in, in, in European cities uh, where women don't appear. Are you suggesting that it's the the women who, who lived in Europe before the Muslim immigration or the, the Muslim women who were most affected by uh, this disrespect for female rights amongst new immigrants? Muslim women are the ones who are most affected and most affected negatively. They are the ones who become uh, victims of honor violence uh, in general and all sorts of issues that are you know related to the culture and religion of islam but now the problem is affecting non-muslim women in fact all women and the problem is prevalent in the neighborhoods where the immigrants are resettled and these are working class neighborhoods and where you have that problem of you know your neighborhood simply becoming unsafe for you as a female only because you're a female and with the authorities neglecting to do anything about it, with that open-door migration system still in play, I think what you then get is uh, women who um, deal with the problem just like the Muslim women by staying out of their way in order to be safe. And I've talked to a number of these women, and when they tell me their stories, I say this is exactly how we used to live when, when I was in Kenya and in Somalia and in Saudi Arabia. It's the exact same precautions that women used to take. You, know, you don't go out at night by yourself. You think about what you're going to wear. You know that uh, everything outside of your front door is unsafe. And so you see European women adapting in this way. Yeah, you're going to see places in Europe where you don't see women outside anymore. Ayan, let's go back to Angela Merkel. I, I don't want to make her the center of this conversation, but... If we went back five years or six years to the Syrian refugee crisis, should she have just shut the doors or should she have established concrete criteria? It seems in, in, in your method of argument, perhaps uh, the refugees from the civil war who weren't Muslim or weren't radically brought up, they're the ones who should be allowed in. Are you suggesting that immigration policy should be somehow associated with religion itself? Absolutely, it has to be associated because when you get people coming in from places like Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, who do have, yes, not just a different religion, but a completely different way of life, different attitudes, where we also have the experience in Europe that communities from those you know, Muslim-majority countries have had a very, very hard time of integrating, and most of them are still not integrated, then you would expect from the leadership, yeah, Angela Merkel is just one of them. And Angela Merkel had said previously that multiculturalism as a philosophy for integration had failed. 
uh, David Cameron, the former Prime Minister of the UK, had said the exact same thing. Now, knowing this and having had that experience, I think that these leaders should have anticipated the problems that we are facing now. And so, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it really is a question of leadership in many ways. So you don't have the confidence in open society, in the, in the Western model, quote-unquote, of open society. Of course, it's not entirely open. To integrate outsiders who perhaps are coming from more, again, quote-unquote, traditional societies and will develop at the end of your book you you um you you sorry you 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 talk about john stuart mill in defense of mill and i think you probably think of yourself as a million liberal yes. but uh mill of course was a great supporter of female rights but mill's defense of open society suggested that everyone should be free to believe in anything they wanted as long as it didn't hurt others are you saying that, by definition, being a, a traditional Muslim hurts others in Western society? Uh, I'm just saying exactly what Mill uh, said back then, and I think he's still just as valid today. Believe whatever you want, as long as you don't hurt others. And it, is, uh, it, it really is that part of your but belief. You're, uh, I, 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 I take that, but your, um, your assumption is that if you are a traditional Muslim male and brought up in a traditional Muslim way, then whether or not you believe you hurt women, you're suggesting you do and that, that these people shouldn't be allowed into Western societies as immigrants. No, I'm not suggesting that. I make it very clear in the book that not all Muslim men engage in sexual violence against women or have negative attitudes so to how it. do you so I, I take that but how do you discriminate how do how would angela merkel decide who who would and wouldn't be let into germany well based on all that we know and all that she should have known and knows uh, in terms of the failure for men from muslim majority countries to integrate into german society that is including the second generation and the attitude towards women in the countries of origin you take all that we know and all that our experience tells us, and that should have led to a, a better and a well thought through immigration policy. There was no immigration policy in 2015. It was a thoughtless act. And yes, it was inspired by compassion. I am a compassionate person. I think she is too. But when making policies, I think you are elected as a leader to put more thought into these things than just uh, say, you know, I felt sorry for this young woman and this young boy, and therefore um, I, I let something like this happen. Uh, and we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Turkish um, scholar of Islam, Mustafa Akyal on the show, I'm sure you know him. He yes. has a book, Reopening Muslim Minds, about rediscovering the enlightenment in the Islamic tradition. You yourself, have, uh, your, your book before last was um, Heretic, Why Islam Needs a Reformation. Now, rather than keeping Muslims out, shouldn't our focus be on reforming Islam as liberals? Reforming Islam, I think, is a mission for Muslims who want to reform Islam. I mean, as liberals, and especially the leaders like Angela Merkel and the other political leaders that we elect, it is it's their uh, responsibility to keep liberal societies safe and at the same time open. And that you do through thoughtful policies. The, the reformation of Islam 
if it is going to happen, it, it, it is something that has to come from those Muslims who, who want to dedicate um, time and effort into that incredibly difficult mission. I, and you, um, as I said, you're the, the author of, well, I think your new book is a bestseller too, two, two big bestsellers, very controversial books, Heretic and your first book, Infidel, which uh, is, a, is a book about your own personal history and relationship with Islam. Um, how do you think of that relationship? Do you see yourself as an infidel? Uh, yes, I do see myself as an infidel, and uh, it started with me being accused by members of my family and other members of my community once I started to have doubts about Islam, and they were flinging the insult infidel at me. And I it's quite a compliment if, if you're a fan of John Stuart Mill, yes? I, I, I always want to be called an infidel. No one could, uh, no, no one, no one could say anything better about me. Yeah, and, and I think also, you know, when you... This was supposed to be, it was supposed to um, make me feel so awful and, um, and remorseful that I would go back to Islam. Uh, but instead, I adopted it as a badge of honor. And, and I found it liberating. I am an infidel. I'm an infidel of Islam and a blasphemer. And my life has only been better because of that. And, and that's not the path I'm saying that every Muslim should take. But is there is there a, is there a place for you in in um, in in uh, Mustafa Akyol's um, uh, shall we say liberal Islamic world? Could you imagine uh, tearing up your infidel logo and, and becoming more of a conformist? Uh, I know Mustafa, and I've had these conversations with him. I don't think that's what he expects of me. I think what Mustafa's mission is that Muslims will become so tolerant that they will have no problem with me being an infidel and someone else being more orthodox or traditional, as long as they don't harm others, and someone else being a moderate Muslim, just like Mustafa and like Majid Nawaz and others. Uh, Ayan, we had um, the, uh, the very well-known Canadian writer, Margaret Atwood, on the show recently, of course, the author, amongst other things, of The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, you write in the book that Atwood's Handmaid's Tale is being realized in Europe in a particularly ironic, unintentional sense. How are we seeing The Handmaid's Tale in Europe when it comes to Islamic immigration? Um, I think The Handmaid's Tale was really a, a parody of Iran. Um, but there's a When you say you think that, is that uh, your interpretation or, or Atwood confirm that? I don't know if Atwood would confirm that. I haven't spoken to her about it, but having read it and seen the television series, I think it was really much more about Iran than it is about uh, some uh, radical Christian group uh, overtaking things in America and then um, producing a society that is dystopic and dystopian for women. But what we are seeing in Europe, I mean, things always start uh, you know, in a very small way. Um, there are right now neighborhoods uh, in Europe where women have erased themselves completely out of that and are completely sub submitting to the male-dominated ethos of Islam and radical Islam at that. And if that spreads, well, that's kind of chilling. I, and we had the, um, uh, the, the critic Jill Filipovic on the show recently. She's a 
big defender of uh, boomers. Uh, she's a younger critic. As you know, she really brutalized your book in a New York Times review. I thought it was a rather unfair review. Um, why does your work elicit such a strong response from liberals? Is it because they're racist, because they're sexist, or because they simply expect more from a complicated woman like yourself? I think it's about the way we use the label liberal. I don't think that Jim Filofovich is really um, liberal in the sense um, we just talked about John Stuart Mill in that sense. I, and so that's not the kind of liberalism uh, that she uh, subscribes to. And that's where the problem lies. She's woke, she wants to be a feminist, and at the same time, you know, be woke. And I think the two, the two are mutually exclusive. And when that sort of dissonance happens, then you write reviews like the one she has written. Is it possible to have a critique of your work and your worldview without being woke? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I welcome that. What, what I, do you think the best critique of your work is? Where, where is it coming from? I think it is to engage with the material and not with um, these ad hominem attacks and categorization of people into all sorts of identities and beliefs. If you look at the work itself and you say, okay, is sexual violence in Europe increasing? If that is the case, then why? What are the various reasons? I, when I uh, gave the manuscript to different people to look at it, they would say that some of the proposals I was making were unrealistic, that Europeans would never adopt these proposals. Or they would say uh, things take a very long time. You know, for, for these men to change their minds, that takes quite a long time. So uh, I, I was accused of being impatient. Uh, and it, all of these criticisms are true. Uh, it's just that, you know, at some place, one of the things, and the reason why I start with you need to be triggered by this book is even raising the subject now has become, you know, a minefield of. Exactly, a minefield of accusations. If you are a white guy and you see you make the exact same observations as I do, you will be accused of racism and xenophobia. And it's very difficult for people like Jill Filopovich to accuse me of that. Well, one time I'll have to get you and Jill on the show together. Um, Ayan, as we speak, uh, there's more trouble in Gaza. The Israelis are bombing Gaza, 28 dead, two, two dead uh, Israelis. Shouldn't we accept that given the endless wars between Muslims and Christians and the strength of the West when it comes to the Middle East, that we should give them a little bit more, um, a little bit more space, given their legitimate and perhaps sometimes illegitimate concerns about victimhood and, and exploitation? Um, isn't there a historical element here you're missing? You're, you're, you're approaching this as if Islam and the West had no history. Oh, no, I'm not approaching that. Islam and the West do have a history. We've had endless conflicts, but also friendships, uh, trade, all sorts of relationships, and still to this day continue to do that. Now, the, the situation between the Israel and the Palestinians is a different one. The Palestinian leadership... Uh, have had many opportunities and still do to resolve this issue through that two-state resolution, but they don't want that. They want to wipe Israel off the map. 
And I don't, I think as long as that is the attitude of the people who are in charge of the Palestinian, at least the Palestinian, at this point, whom we think are in charge of Palestinian destiny, uh, I think then this violence will continue. The violence can end and it should end, but there has to be some compromise. I mean, the attitude of wiping Israel off the map is just, it's not going to work. And I think most Arabs are completely tired of this. This is why you see the Gulf Arabs now uh, sort of uh, making some sort of peace or some developing some kind of relationship with Israel. And I think that might push the Palestinians and their leadership to consider a two-state solution instead of this extreme position of, of wiping Israel off the map. Ayan, you were originally born in um, Africa, of course. You've lived most of your life in the West. There has been a growth of very radical uh, Islamic terrorism, fundamentalist, fundamentalism in Africa. We had the Wall Street Journal uh, writers, Joe Parkinson and Drew Hinshaw on the show, uh, talking about uh, Boko Haram and the kidnapping of Western girls. Is your message about your, your warnings about immigration from the Middle East, are they as true about immigration from Africa to the West too? Or is it just Muslim immigrants? It, it's not just Muslim immigrants. In the book, I make a very clear distinction between other immigrants who have come from the developing world with similar backgrounds to Muslims who are very well assimilated. Uh, the Sikhs and uh, Hindus from India, uh, Lebanese Christians, I mean, uh, people from Vietnam, China, people from Southern Europe who went into Northern Europe. We have lots of, lots of examples of people who uh, did come into Western societies and who assimilated perfectly well. Uh, in terms of what's going on in Africa, I mean, it's the same. Africans do have a radically different um, culture and they will be confronted with that sort of culture shock once they come to Europe. Also, that has to be addressed, regardless of whether they're Muslim or Christian. But if they happen to be Muslim and they're entirely socialized in that Islamist supremacist uh, and misogynist attitude, then they will have more problems integrating and they will cause more problems. And finally, I know you've got to run and I really appreciate how willing you are to take on these questions. It's rare to have someone who takes on questions which are sometimes quite critical. Um, your book is a critique in many ways of, I guess, the, the the cult of the strong Muslim male, a reactionary strong maleness, uh, perhaps in reaction in many ways to the West. Uh, but of course, the same is happening in the West when it comes to white men too. Uh, we had the scholar Ruth Ben-Ghiat on. She has a wonderful new book, Strong Men, uh, a, a critique of the Trumps and the Bolsonaros of the world. Um, to what extent would you fit this shift to a right-wing white male authoritarianism? How do you connect with the, um, with, with the masculine authoritarianism, in your view, coming out of, 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 of the Muslim world? Are they connected? Are they the same thing? Well, I think the, the masculine authoritarianism, the let's call it uh, uh, the impulse of tyranny uh, and dictatorships, that is a universal trait. But what I see in the West is that we have gone, and it's an evolution, but we've gone through a period of time when power is checked. 
and control. And power has to be transparent and those in power have to be accountable. And as long as these safeguards are in place and institutions that safeguard these checks and balances are protected, then a society with these safeguards is a more stable society, more female-friendly, more minority-friendly. And that's what distinguishes Western societies from um, societies that really haven't developed or uh, established these institutions. Uh, if we, if you know, a tyrant makes his way into the White House, uh, he, you remove him through election. There are institutions of checks and balances that you don't have in Saudi Arabia or Iran or different parts of Africa. Well, I hope this conversation has triggered you. Uh, uh, Ayan's new book comes with this trigger warning. Reading it, you should be triggered. Uh, it's an excellent book, Pray, Immigration, Islam, and the Erosion of Women's Rights. I certainly don't agree with all of it, but I think it's an important book to read and argue with. I appreciate, Ayan, you coming on the show and being so open to, uh, to sometimes quite critical questions. Keep well, keep safe, and we'll have you back on, perhaps, uh, perhaps with uh, Mustafa Akyol to talk about a Muslim uh, reformation. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, and I look forward to that. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Andrew.